Hello and welcome to episode 127 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. We are joined this week by none other than Kobe Mendoza of the crew. Our opponent correspondent this week is going to be Tim Sullivan. He is the founder of Club and Country and the president of the North American Soccer Reporters. Folks, as always, my name is Jonathan Reimer. Joining me on this Derby Victorious show is none other than Christian Aparicio and Christopher Sines. Gentlemen, good evening and welcome. Happy, happy day. I'm just excited about the weekend. We'll have a good interview coming up, but you know, let's not bury the lead. We won the Derby, we won the Clasico Angelino. How loud was that stadium that day? It was rocking. You couldn't hear. It was deafening. I had to put headphones on my son, which I, usually I don't have to, but that day it was just too much the entire game well sorry not sorry to baby x yeah no uh, it was fun i was electric man the bank was rocking it was a lot of fun great atmosphere overall it was great to see lafc play the way that they did amen and the way that they played led us to a glorious three to two victory at the bank so gentlemen let's just dive right into derby day i unfortunately as alluded to on defenders of the bank was escorting my little sister's bachelorette party around as she was wedding dress shopping here in LA and I made it to the game very very late but from what I saw the tailgate was absolutely lit and of course all day throughout the course of preceding the match was Gareth watch where is his plane where is his limo is he here at the stadium is he at a hotel and it seemed like everyone was obsessed with where he had traveled throughout the course of the day. And while you guys were on Christmas tree lane and, and I was parading around Glendale wedding shops, we finally found out that Gareth Bale was indeed at the bank. So take us through experiencing all that through the lens of the fans as you guys were there, boys. You know what? It was definitely something that people were talking about. And all day, you know, we had talked that Gareth Bale might be coming. There's a small chance that he plays. And then we get the updates. We see the picture from the LAFC social media account early in the morning where Gareth Bale is on a plane. And then we saw the update where Gareth Bale was in the car. And then we're hearing snippets of that, okay, he's in medical. Okay, he passed his medical. And then it really is becoming a potential reality where you're like, all right, if Gareth Bale looks at Trundle and he goes, hey, I can give you 15 minutes. Are we going to see him suit up before his press conference? It was really something that I think that some people were really, really considering. He was there in the stadium, you know, and was he the type of player that could potentially just go and play and make a debut similar to what Zlatan did, where you just get off the plane and you come and, and you play and that's it? Unfortunately, it didn't play out that way, but it was the buzz. It was what people were talking about. I know that when the PR had sent out the rosters and I didn't see Bale's name on there. That's when I knew the official match roster that he wasn't going to play. And that was probably like an hour before the match started. So at that point I got a little disappointed because I was hopeful. I still was holding on to that little, little itty bitty bit of hope that he would at least have been on the bench, even whether or not he played, it's just having him on the bench. It's a bit of a distraction for the other team. It's something that the other team is going to say, is he going to play? And it would have been something else that was in the back of their mind. But either way, getting him the opportunity to sit and watch. I feel better today, though, because I one of the things that I was concerned about was 
the fact of we may never know if Gareth Bale was going to play against the Galaxy, albeit we might see them in the playoffs, but that's not yet known. We didn't know what his true intentions were. We do know now because we saw the press conference today and we saw his responses. But when Gareth Bale first came to LAFC, it was on a short-term one-year deal and there was the potential for more. But we didn't know if Gareth Bale wanted to be here for the long haul and if he were to play well in the World Cup and be ready, who knows? He may not have even stayed here past January and just went on and transferred back to Europe somewhere. So with all that, I was also thinking like, hey, if this might be his only time to play in this big match, he might really try and get in there and make sure that he makes an appearance. But now after hearing his press conference, he has every intention of being here for a long time, which is also pretty exciting to be able to say that we're, hey, we're going to see Gareth Bale play for two, three, four more years. He was talking in his press conference about playing in the Euros that are going to be in a couple of seasons. He plans to be here. He plans to continue to play. And I'm excited. I'm I'm hopeful and optimistic that it's going to work out. Now, going, going back to the match day pregame, we got dropped off maybe half a block away. Traffic was intense. I didn't get a chance to experience the tailgate because he's getting there with the toddler. It was an experience for sure. We usually go in through the southeast end. Obviously, because this is a derby that was kind of all blocked off and there was kind of an impromptu gate created between the east and west corner on the south end, which was interesting in the first time we had ever experienced that. But, you know, safety protocols, I haven't heard of any big incidents, so I'm happy that all of those things went well pre-match, during the match and post-match. And we we got in and the, the tension from a few blocks away was palpable. The hottest ticket probably in L.A. sports to date, to me, I don't think is as intense or I guess as excited and the experience in the match and the actual play in the field has uh, fit the bill for the last few years. And this match, just walking into it, felt like it was going to be one of those nights again. Yeah, Chris, I, I think you alluded to an interesting point about the roster announcement kind of deflating people. And I think just before that, we had heard that Escobar was going to be ruled out for health and safety protocols. And instantly my first thought was, well, th- there you go. That clears up the space for Bale to come on in and ride that spot on the bench. And I was with you. I think it would have just been a really nice piece to have sitting there taunting them and having it in the back of their mind that, oh, gosh, Bale could be coming in later and distracting them from the game. It, it would have been perfect. But him arriving after having just been on a flight, that's got to be difficult on the body and, and putting him in a game and risking injury just to rush him into a derby. You know, I think this really all any potential of him performing versus Carson kind of went out the window when there were those snags in his P1 visa getting him over here. And, you know, thankfully, that's all resolved as we knew it would be. But I think that just unfortunately held him up to the point where I don't know how even if the player comes to you and says, I'm good for 15 minutes. You can say, look, you've been up for 20 hours, just got off a 12 hour flight, and we're going to go ahead and put you in the biggest game of our season with, you know, so much on the line. I don't think that was ever going to happen. You had some great comments about his press conference, and, and we'll get back to that here in a minute. But first and foremost, guys, we get ready for a game. We have a little pregame demonstration from the 3252. What did you guys think of the smoke show? I thought it was fantastic. The spectacle that it created, the kind of backdrop. It almost was like a rock show entrance or even like a wrestling match entrance, the way it felt. 
uh, right before the game. And uh, I think it gave it like a mystique before the match that this match doesn't need, but it kind of leveled it up. And it, I thought it was amazing that the 3252 was able to coordinate that and make that look great in person. And I'm sure it looked fantastic on television and all of the social media postings that I saw. It definitely set the tone. The smoke was let off just shortly before kickoff and it was something that everybody was staring at, you know, and when you can grab the attention of a stadium like that and the ball starts and people aren't even watching the pitch because people have their phones out and they're looking at 3252 and they're recording what just looks like a huge ball of fire, right? The smoke was just coming up and it was dark and it was black. And from where I was sitting on the Figaro side of the stadium, you could see the smoke was coming over the sunset deck and the sun was peeking through because it was just starting to set and you could see that burning red sun and that image. And it just, I mean, it did, it gave the ambiance of like a burning sunset. And it was just very, very cool. It was very cool to see. It was, I mean, I can't even think of how to describe it. It was just such a tone setting image for a match that was so important to us as a fan base and that I thought it was great. And I hope that we get to see it again. Really cool look when I went back and rewatched the game as they come in from commercials and they show a look from outside of the stadium. And you can see the smoke curling out of the north end from outside the stadium. It was, it was really, really cool visuals to it. A, a powerful demonstration. And I think it it resonated with fans and players alike. Saw Maxime Cropo and a number of the other players reposting it on social media after the game so it's certainly stuck in the minds of the players but we go ahead kick the game off and early on in the game we have another controversial decision from a referee that has given us controversial decisions in galaxy derbies already this season with that controversial offsides in our game down in carson but in this case we had what appeared to be a pretty obvious case of handball against carson right at the top of the box there, and yet it went uncalled. Christian, I ask you, do you think by letter of the law that that was a handball, and why did they not award it? I think it was one of those plays where whatever was called on the field was difficult to overturn because you could argue both sides, and I know this is not what people want to hear from someone that roots for LAFC, but honestly, if it was called a handball, I don't think VAR overturns it. And I don't think it gets overturned as a non-handball because the impact from the foot to where the hand was was so short that it's hard to react. Was his body in a natural position? It could be argued yes or no. When you're sliding, you probably have to put your hand in a particular way. So I wasn't mad about it. I think we're all more upset about is who was refing the game and questioning his decision making. Fortunately, they didn't come back and bite us that particular play. But it was also so early on in the game that I, I didn't feel like mistakes were made from a refereeing standpoint on either side at that point. And I kind of let it go. And I was like, all right, well, we're going to get this. I just had a good feeling about the match in general. I don't want to continue to feed the narrative that there are these referees that we are just haunted by and that we just can't get away. I would like to believe that these referees are not ones that are just going to continue to make bad calls against us over and over and over. I think that the handball was fairly unintentional, but at the same time, most handballs are. And so because most handballs that, but they still get called, right? I think that if a handball is unintended, it still would get called. So I don't understand why that call wasn't made, you know, and you could see from the replay too, the ball took a total deflection in an opposite direction. And you could see that it hit his body on his arm. 
you know, I think that if the match had played out differently and we had ended in a tie or a loss, I think we'd be looking back here and really pinpointing that as like a, a moment that turned and that it's like we got robbed. But because we won, I think a lot of people forget about that moment. And we look back and we say, well, you know, we'll let it slide because at the end of the day, we won. So I went back and I rewatched the replay fairly intensely at this moment because what I saw from my limited view in the north end of that play, I really just wanted to get a better look at it. And it looks like Mazdowski just kind of taps the ball to the other side of the player. And it didn't really have much force to it whatsoever. And as he slides in, I think it's Kubali comes in and puts his plant hand down right on the ball and it goes firing out perfectly as he had punched it wide of the net. It looked fairly intentional that he meant to put his plant hand there. And I know the rule says that if you hit the ball into a player's plant hand, then it's not a handball. But it looked like he pretty firmly placed his plant hand down in order to punch the ball just wide of the net because the ball was going very slowly behind him and setting up Mazowski for a one-on-one with the keeper. It seemed from the replay and based on the commentator's opinion as well, too, that it was something that warranted a second look but did not go to VAR. And so here we are early on with all of us going, okay, you know, either the refs don't want to decide this one and that's why they're making the no call. Or, or once again, that little thought in the back of your mind of why does pro ref constantly seem to make decisions against LAFC was kind of rearing its head there. But uh, we did not have to wait long for elation because shortly thereafter, we get ourselves the first of two Sifu goals completely unmarked inside the box. Beautiful header down just below the keeper's hand off a wonderful corner and something we had none of in our previous game corners. And here in just one of our first couple corners in this game, we already find the back of the net. So fantastic stuff from Sifu there. I think we'll talk a little bit more about him in a second. So I'm going to roll on to what I thought was the most pivotal moment of the match. And that was the massive, massive save from Max Kripo. We have been talking about all season. When is he going to make that hallmark save, that save that really defines his time with LAFC. And he's had some phenomenal saves for us that have entered this conversation. But I think we finally saw that big Derby Day save from him. He was just able to get a finger on, diving down quick to his bottom left, just able to usher that ball that was for sure going in just wide of the goal on a complete defensive breakdown encounter from Carson. And I thought for sure we were looking at 1-1 as I'm looking straight into that goal from my seats. And Cropo had his save of the season. And I'm curious if you guys are elevating that play to the same echelon that I am. I'm in agreement with you. That was a key save. He had another one, but that one was a one-on-one. And I think it was a key moment, like you said. And I, I hope it turns around some of the few mistakes that, he, that he's had that haven't necessarily been bad for our results, but maybe bad for his confidence. And this is going to reverse that and start elevating his confidence. And there's new players coming in, new energy. And he made it in a big game against the biggest rival in the city. So... I agree with you. At this moment in time, since Crapo has joined, that's the biggest save in the biggest moment in the biggest game to date. Yeah, it's hard to argue when you look at the type of save, the circumstance that it was in. It was a momentum shift changer because it looked after that block came in, you could see that Max Crapo was elevated and he was up and he was 
you know, getting high fives from the defenders. And you could see the Galaxy felt a little deflated. They were struggling to put plays together. And so that was one of their few chances at that point in time. And so it, it does. I think that it was a momentum shift change in that instance. There were a couple of moments throughout the course of the game in which I really felt like LAFC was just trying to do too much, trying to be a bit too flashy, a bit too showy, really trying to show off to either the intense media circus that was surrounding this game or simply because it was a derby or because we have new players coming in. But I felt this was really personified in Sifu attempting and quite miserably failing to throw in a cross via the Rabona. I don't know if you guys caught this or saw any of the video going around afterwards, but he's charging down the side of the box and has a perfect opportunity to put a centering pass in. And rather than just putting his left foot through it, he plants his left and swings the right behind it for the Rabona cross and completely whiffs on the ball, which then just rolled out of bounds. It's moments like that that have me shake in my head that here we are in a derby. We have a one goal lead, which we know against Carson is, is certainly not a place of safety. Like we need to just execute. But there were lots of little moments throughout the game where guys tried to do a spin move on a ball instead of just a crisp one, two quick passing. And, and I thought perhaps the moment might've gotten a bit much for us in moments. And, and I'm just curious if you guys had similar thoughts or what you thought on Sifu's failed Rabona. I agree with you that there were other moments. I'm okay with trying things that far up the field. Right. But there were some moments, not just Sifu, there's some giveaways or ill-advised passes or choosing the right pass or deciding to pass it quickly when you had time and space ahead of you because you got excited and thought you saw a pass. I think Sifu showed maturity at times, but also showed his youth in other times and wanting to win so bad that you're almost pressing to do things beyond what you need to do in order to execute in a, in a big rivalry game. So I don't know if that I would choose that as an example, but there were some other more terrible passes that I, I could understand. I would describe them as Janela-esque. Don't you dare. Okay. Janela-esque is way worse than some of that stuff we saw in the Derby, bro. Don't you dare bring that man's name up. In, uh, in he hindsight, though, his own name up when he came in, I suppose. But yeah, no, in hindsight, yeah, he had a couple of those moments himself. In hindsight, I'll take any of those Sifu kind of mishaps, or at least the Rabona, not the other passes. If I know he's going to score two goals, obviously, but I think he was taking risks and he was able to brush them aside and not have those be the headlines because he was he was able to 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 do well. And we'll talk about the, the the way he did finish the match. It seemed like LAFC was trying to do a little bit more of a cheeky type of play that I felt like I saw a lot of times where guys were trying to chip over that back line in the first half. So I don't know if that was part of a strategy or something they had been they, they had been working on on the training pitch, but it just seemed like there was a bit of a strategy to try and do things a little like I said, cheekier, but at the end of the day, it worked. So having a three to one lead going into the 85th minute or whatever was the 82nd minute before they came and got their second goal. I'm okay with that. You know, let's go back. Let's go back. It's still one zero at this point. I want to hear, I want to hear Jonathan describe the, the, the failures and the, the overtaking. We did. I have to say, I have to tip my cap to pro ref because they did get a call right there towards the end of the half where there was a clear dive inside the box. However, that player was already on a yellow 
And, you know, when a clear dive like that is called inside the box, attempting to get a pen, you know, letter of the law says that that's a yellow card infraction. And that could have been a second yellow and a chance to go up a man already up a goal would have been pivotal at that point in the game. But I applaud them for getting the call right, not awarding the penalty and at least uh, playing the goal back the other way. There was a miss from Chicho right before the end of the second half where, well, he had a couple big ones. There was one off a corner where he was completely unmarked and he just couldn't put it on frame. That one, I'll give him a pass on because the ball's coming right over the top of the jumping wall in front of you and you never know if it's going to make it through. So it's a, it's a last second, split second reaction to a ball and, you know, he just couldn't get it on frame. But Sifu had an amazing cutback to him top of the box he is wide open and he just swings underneath it and boots it up into what I think it landed in like the second deck by the time it came out and I was a little disappointed that Chicho in that moment he certainly lived it up a little bit later but uh, also just tried to do a little too much in that moment and didn't just square up the ball and get it on frame both times and then also right before the half we have Moose exiting with what looked like a nasty hamstring injury not entirely sure what the diagnosis is yet. Obviously, with LAFC, we're, we're never going to know the whole story behind a player injury, and we'll probably find out significantly later than most other teams might release information, but it, it didn't look like Moose was good coming off. And I hate to say this because we love Danny Muzowski. Double-digit goal scorer for us last season has put in some really important minutes for this club, but he struggled throughout the course of that first half. You know, there were a lot of moments in which he was frustrated, other players, other players were frustrated with him, very demonstrative body language out there on the pitch. And, you know, he just wasn't finding the pass, finding the shot. And as he was exiting the pitch, this little birdie in the back of my mind said, there's Gareth Bale's minutes right there. Mazowski down hurt, that's going to spell the time that he's going to come in. And all these people that are constantly talking about Gareth Bale taking minutes from Arango or minutes from Raito that are forgetting exactly how many minutes we saw in this game from the likes of Opoku and Mazowski, where I really feel like that subtraction is going to come for Gareth Bale. But that about wraps us up for the first half. Did you guys have any thoughts on the waning minutes of the first half of the game? So we get into the second half and uh, at halftime for everybody on TV, they got their first interview with Gareth Bale here in Los Angeles. Really a pretty cookie cutter interview, said all the things you want him to say, said a lot of the things that he had already repeated on a number of other shows, really just reiterating why he was happy to be here and why he felt this was the right place to be. Looking the part, saying all the things you want him to say, looks like he's fit, in shape, ready to go, and, and certainly talk to the talk on TV. So it's already good to see him putting the right stuff forward in front of the press and not saying the kind of things that are going to detract from the team and take attention away from the performance of the squad on a big day. And I was really proud that, you know, he stood back and let the moment be the moment, applauded the fans. I, I thought that was a really good halftime interview. We get into the second half and Palacios unfortunately gets himself a yellow card, which means he will be suspended for our next match. And it was really just a silly yellow. He gets the ball absolutely played out from under his feet. And then he just goes and drags the player down from behind. And as a result, we are going to be without Palacios. We still have no word on what Escobar's health situation is going to be like. Obviously, he was removed for health and safety protocols. So that means there's a potential for a COVID scare there as well, too. And we know that a lot of people have been getting sick lately. COVID's been surging back through. And, you know, for down Escobar, we now have a suspended Palacios as well, too. 
that spells woes for that outside back. Does this give you guys any concern going forward? No, I think it's going to find us minutes for Fall or Segura. Fall has played on the outside. Ibiaga's played on the outside. Is it ideal going into Nashville? No, but we have enough players, enough bodies to travel and play. So I'm concerned that we won't have our first choice on either side. But I do think we have a replacement that can be serviceable and do their role and defend at the very minimum, even if we're not able to attack in the same way off the flanks. Don't forget, there is Eric Duenas. I know that he had been injured for a significant portion of the season. I'm not sure where he's at in his recovery, but I do know that he is no longer listed on the injury reports. So... That could be an opportunity for Eric to get some minutes too. I also think this might present the opportunity for a back three, especially knowing that that's something Kalini is well-versed in. A back three could be what we employ in Nashville in order to give us a little bit more help in that midfield. And, and that might be the direction that Chirundolo is forced to go once again, based on player availability. This point in the game, things take a little bit of a dark turn for LAFC. Grand Seer finds the back of the net. It's his first goal since October of last year, which was ironically also against LAFC. It came in a really ugly fashion as the goal completely megs Murillo. As a result of getting blocked off the play, Cripo is late to react. It was Acosta's man all the way, and he was very late in arriving and really put in no contest against the shot whatsoever. And here we have LAFC attempting to do all these tricky little things around the pitch. And here it is Carson nutmegging our player and finding a way past the keeper after everyone just to me. I mean, we had the numbers back and yet for some reason found a way to not mark two men in the process. And it just looked like everyone was ball watching to me. And, you know, this LAFC team, when they take a lead, sometimes have a tendency to, just take their foot off the gas defensively. And, and this was a moment that really concerned me. And frankly, watching from the stands as the buildup was taking place, it had trouble written all over it. Did you guys have any concern creeping in at this point? Was this deja vu all over again? There was a little concern only because at that point in time, it just felt like LAFC's energy was down. They had put in quite a bit into the game. It's a demanding match. And it felt like it could be a deflating moment, right? Where, they could get another goal because of the energy they felt from scoring. But like you said, it, it isn't something that we haven't seen from LA, LAFC where they have moments of defensive lapses that cost us. And Kripo wasn't able to make the save on that one. And to your point, he was blocked off and he expected Murillo to not be magged in that shot. So he wasn't expecting to have to make that dive in that way at that moment in time. As the second half rolls on, we have Raheem Edwards, everyone's favorite player. Raheem, a.k.a. the Snake Edwards, has one of the most ridiculous yellows awarded for a handball I've ever seen. I have no idea what was going through his head where he just like flagrantly reaches out <laughs> and slaps the ball back into play and knew he had done it. And I, I don't know why he didn't expect to get a straight yellow for that as that was one of the most boneheaded plays. And it's, it's those kind of mental lapses that, frankly, LAFC fans are used to seeing from Raheem Edwards, but we haven't seen as many of them since, you know, he's donned the Carson uniform. He's been very successful down there, but it was just another one of those plays where you're like, what, what a senseless waste of a yellow card, especially given a, a derby and given the fact that, you know, he's been known to get into some tough tackles with us. I thought that was pretty funny. We had a brilliant opportunity in the 63rd for Hollingshead coming back the other way on a breakaway. He's one-on-one -on -one with the keeper and all he has to do is hit a little dink chip over the top and it's in. He tries to fire it foot side and fires it right into Bond's feet. I thought for sure that was the moment in which we were going to take the lead. 
And then we get into this spell of just atrocious passing for LAFC. And it seemed like every possession was being fired straight back at the Carson player. And the fans were getting on the, the players. You could hear it, the boos echoing or just that gasp of frustration coming from fans of just, ah, every time the ball was getting played right back into the hands of Carson. And it really seemed like they were going to be the ones fishing for the next goal. They were on the front foot. They were pressing us. We were really struggling to get the ball out of our own end. And maybe it was a little rope-a-dope because boom, Vela goes streaking down, fires a brilliant Vela-esque left footer, but this time not for the top corner. He plays it low perfectly for Sifu to interject, find the back of the net. Boom, he finds himself a brace, and it is smooth sailing, amigos. What a beautiful goal. And just on the back of that, a few minutes later, we get Chicho Arango with an Arango. Vela once again gets the assist, two assists to Vela to cap off this game. A beautiful dime right through there. Christian, my friend, Mr. Chicho Arango now has 24 goals in his 39 LAFC games. So I'll let you respond to Sifu and the Sifu brace and what you thought of that Vela assist. But I do want to go back to you and hear, have we changed your mind at all? about whether or not Arango is a starter with, I believe, his fifth goal in five games? No, no. Fifth goal in six games, excuse me. I'll address the first question. I don't think Vela meant to cross the ball. It was a shot, 100%. I think Sifu just took advantage of the moment. They were Two players were making the correct run because it could be a shot from only Vela or a cross from every other player. So they were making that run. I think Vela's accuracy was in 2019-esque at that point in that shot. It was still going to give Bond trouble, but I think Sifu did the right thing. He went and glanced it, and it was no man's land for Bond at that point in time. I don't think Bond, maybe it's a save, but I don't think he grabs it, right? That's what I'm trying to say. I think it's too central for it to go directly in. He was lined up perfectly to punch, punch that it. Vela ball through if Sifu had not gotten on it. It was, it was a beautiful attempt from Vela if it ended yeah. up just being that. But yeah. Bond was on it. He he had that shot. Had Sifu not gotten in the way, Bond saves that. Maybe, I think uh, Acosta was behind him, so one of the two was going to get it. So either way, it would have been a goal in my opinion, but it was a shot. It was not a cross. I'm happy he gets the assist. It is an assist. It's a deserved assist in my mind. I don't care what the stack keepers tell me. I know what I saw and what my opinion is. To answer your Chicho Arango question, I don't know if you can sit him down if he continues to be this hot, Um, but bringing in new players, putting the pressure on who's playing now and you are executing, uh, that's that's the dream of any manager. You want to make sure that everyone feels like their position isn't guaranteed because that's going to, you know, bring the best of you in every match. It's going to be harder to sit Chicho with Brian being injured right now. It's going to make it easy to have two wingers and Chicho in there. But when Brian's back and if he can ramp up and have a few good games, then my argument goes back and Chicho has stints where he's not scoring. So it's just going to keep everyone fresh, I think. So we'll see if the question was beginning of the season, preseason, everyone's healthy. We've had a few games. Who am I choosing is my original answer. At this point in time, if I'm the manager, I can't sit Chicho. So John Thorrington was on Voices of the Black and Gold today. Shouts to the pod fam. Those guys do some fantastic work over there. If you're not checking out everything putting out by uh, Voices of Black and Gold, definitely give them a shout out. They're good stuff. They had JT on today and they asked him as their very last question of the interview. With all the talk about Chicho Arango being on the market, Has his play changed that conversation? And JT very tactfully said, you know, when it comes to players coming in and players going out, we have one goal and that's to win. 
and we're assessing everything on a game by game match. And he's like, you know, does Arango's situation change when he scores five goals in six games, as opposed to it was a month ago? Yes. And if we're constantly reevaluating a player and that player goes on a five goal and 30 day stretch, you have to reevaluate that player, which I think was a very wink, wink, hint, hint that any thought of selling Arango in this current window, the price either just went way up or his value to the team has increased to the point where I no longer see him as being a shopped commodity in the way he might have been a month ago prior to those five goals. But I just wanted to throw that little tidbit in there because their show ended right before we kicked off today. And I know you guys probably haven't had a chance to check that out yet, but uh, really great stuff with JT on Voices of the Black and Gold. But I thought that was a very, very revealing comment about the current situation of Chicho Arango and, and shouts to the guys at Voices for getting that little soundbite. So as we move on through the game there, it looks like we're just going to go ahead and skate ourselves to an easy 3-1 victory. We've got 10 minutes left in the match and not really much to worry about. Immediately after scoring, Chicho gets subbed off. Blessing comes in to remove an attacker and bring us an extra midfielder. So, you know, we're kind of going to shore things up, right? We're not going to let Galaxy get front-footed at this point, which is exactly the opposite of what happened because the Galaxy came out extremely front-footed, had a number of opportunities, ended up being Revelson, who ended up scoring the goal. He is wide, wide open for a header inside the box. He even has time to signal to his other player, Hey, waving his arms, I'm here, and then tapping on his head to, hey, shoot me to the header. And I can't say I've ever seen a player stand in the box, wave to another player, point and tap at his head like, give me a ball on the head, get a perfect ball into his head, and then put it in the back of the net. It was embarrassing from an LAFC defensive standpoint, especially as we were trying to see out a Darby, especially as good as this team has been at keeping out goals in the second half to allow two, and in such a dramatic fashion was certainly worrying. And then we get into another run of Galaxy possession shortly thereafter. They got a bunch of chances and half chances. And Vela had another good look going back the other way where he tried to do another of his patented left foot curlers that fired into the 32-52. But I think all of us were sitting on pins and needles. But finally, the whistle blows. It's over and we won. So, boys, were, were you worried throughout the course of those final 10 minutes? Were you as frustrated as I was at the way things had turned in play? Or was that what you expected for the Derby to see itself out? As soon as the Galaxy had scored their second goal, I had looked at the clock to kind of get an evaluation of how much time was left. And in the immediate response after, I sat here and I said, well, we better pick it up on our defense because they just got a little bit more momentum, right? Like tying the match and, you know, playing spoiler was now within grasps of the galaxy so i mean those thoughts had crossed my mind you know the substitutions that we had made i think that we had made them given the circumstances it's like hey we're up three one so let's give some guys some minutes i think that if we were up three two some of those substitutions wouldn't have come in the way that they did the tactics of the substitutions would have been different so that being said i i think that the people that we had, the personnel that we had substituted in at that point in time that we were down three to two, we're not necessarily the most defensive personnel. So, you know, evaluating the people that we have and looking to say, okay, we need to be extra defensive so that we maintain this victory and looking at having people like 
Janela. Janela only enters the match because Sifu looked like he picked up a knock, right? I don't know if it was an injury, but it looked like he was knocked to the point where he had to come out. I don't think we're looking at a long-term thing for Sifu like we might be for Danny, but it looked like that substitution was physical-based for the end of the match. Just what I thought. I agree. I definitely think that 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 is true. Like I said, when you look at who was in and who was out and who got substituted in for LAFC in Latif. I love Latif, but it seemed like sometimes he was kind of caught out of position from time to time. You know, like I said, Janela was in, you know, and those guys are in your midfield, right? And that is, that, those are supposed to be the filters before they get to the defense. And I'm just, I'm not a huge Janela fan. And Latif is, you know, extremely energetic and all over the pitch when it comes to being an offense, but sometimes on defense, it doesn't play out the way you want it to. So I just, Having the type of personnel that we had in, given the circumstances, I was a little uncomfortable, but, you know, we saw our way through it. I think the goal changed the energy, and I don't think coming in that late, it's hard to match the energy when the team feels like they have a chance. But at 3-1, I don't think the subs look look as bad. It's just we didn't get to execute or put them away or put away our chances, and they had too many chances. Was I nervous? I think everyone was a little nervous just because this has happened before, where I want to say... Half of the ties we've had against them should have been wins at a minimum. So they just find a way to kind of play spoiler at our place a handful of times. But I don't know. I, I felt like it wasn't going to happen. I don't know why. Um, doesn't mean I didn't put when they put the four minutes up. I didn't put my own timer and I wasn't counting and I wasn't waiting to, to be able to celebrate. There was that chance and off chance, but it didn't feel like like other matches where the possibility was great. It, it just felt like it was an outside chance this time. I thought Blessing played particularly well after he came in. It looked like he was just kind of in a roaming role, that he was the extra midfielder for the attacker that had come out, and it was his job to just run anywhere and put out a fire. And I forget who it was. I think it might have actually been question for Galaxy that had one of those really good looks there towards the end where he had a good shot top of the box that just went wide. And going back and looking at the replay, it's Latif Blessing that runs in to challenge that shot and, and takes the lane away towards the goal where, you know, his only shot left was to, to fire it into the south end there. So I, I thought Blessing was a game changer in, in what he did in coming in. And I really thought he was instrumental in helping us see out that victory. I was really disappointed that there wasn't some further adjudication for Williams after he had a very, very nasty tackle on Opoku foot up right to the knee, pretty flagrant that he was going for the player and not the ball. Didn't attempt to take the player below the knee, took him right at the knee, especially after the ACL injury and the repair to Opoku to see a nasty challenge come in very late and very high like that. I thought could have easily been a straight red card for that kind of foul. I was cynical. He had no intent to play the ball. It was straight at the player. And had he just gone through his feet, okay, I get it. It's a common foul or a yellow. But for him to go boot straight to knee like that, I, I thought for sure was going to see himself into the ref's book, but uh, didn't finish out that way. One thing I do have to say about LAFC's performance in this game is throughout the course of this entire game, there's one name that we never mentioned, and that's Chicharito. He was completely uninvolved in this game. I don't remember him having a big opportunity, a chance, a highlight, a half chance. I mean, Chicharito was quite effectively taken out of this game. And if we're looking at what is the big difference between this match and any of the other games versus Carson that we've seen this year, the ability to completely stifle Chicharito in this game, I thought was 
key to LAFC's success. And the fact that his name was not brought up at all throughout the course of the highlights of this game, just really to me said that our backline did a fantastic job of keeping him under control. We had some really cool post-game celebrations there. Shala Laws with Gareth Bale, who picked the wrong day to wear a white shirt as he was getting doused by the players around him. And it, it quickly became a, a, a wet t-shirt contest out there. And uh, Kalini looked like he was warming up to come in when it was 3-1. Uh, but as the game went to 3-2, the substitution, um, you know, never ended up happening as, as the game was starting to get a little dicey there. Disappointed we didn't get to see him, but all in all, a fantastic night at the bank, all things considered. Christian, do you have any final thoughts on the game before we wrap it up? No, I thought, obviously, it was a good match. We ended up going to the drum circle in the north end or outside of the north end, Christmas tree lane after the match, so... It was a it was a good time. Everyone was having a good time, and there was um, quite the celebration outside. Uh, continued chanting, and I was happy to be able to participate in that. One thing that flew under the radar a little bit, and thank goodness we have people like Chris here who are on top of these things. But LAFC HQ dropped a badass limited edition white. Calavera Sugar Skull Scarf that came out, super limited production. I think they only made like less than 200, maybe only 150 of these scarves that had this sweet sugar skull on either side of them. And thank you, Chris, for snagging one of me. That is a beautiful scarf, man. I am stoked to add that one to the collection. I know JR was there with you in HQ, but uh, how did you find out about that, brother? You give me too much credit, good sir. I didn't find out about this one in advance. I simply just was at HQ buying some merchandise. I saw it and I was like, huh, that looks like a pretty cool. And I was like, they looked like they were freshly stocked. And I was, especially with the community here at LAFC and how the Dia de los Muertos scarves had been so popular. I felt that this was something right along those lines where the popularity of the item would have made this scarf very desirable. And I was shocked to see that the, the shelf looked fully stocked and fully ready to go to buy for people to buy them. And I just happened to run into JR who was there at the HQ with me. And I said, Hey bro, what's the deal with these scarves? And he goes, I hear they only made 150 of them. And I go, Oh, all right. Well, uh, I have to grab one for Jonathan then. And uh, you know, cause I know that Jonathan is a collector of the scarves, not as much as scarf, but. Oh, I don't have the pocketbook or the bandwidth that JR has. And oh, shouts to our friends at defenders of the bank. We love them. Another great member of the pod fam, but uh it is a really, really smoking cool scarf. And uh, I am surprised that it hasn't gotten the attention that some of the other limited releases have got, because uh, to me, I think the design and the artwork on it is sensational. And I'm, I'm really surprised it hasn't exploded like the Dia de los Muertos scarf or any of the others did. But maybe it's a slow burn. Maybe it'll take some time before people even realize that it was out. Completely flew under my radar that it happened. But much obliged to you, brother. I really appreciate you going and showing that up. We uh, kind of already let off with your thoughts on the bail presser. But uh, today, a time of recording. He Gareth Bale was announced at Bank of California Stadium down in the Lexus suite. I got a chance to go down there uh, and join the folks at 110 football on uh, the 110 show today and, and kind of talk a little bit about what was going on there at the press conference. I was able to live feed the entire press conference or at least up until the Q&A part from my phone there. and Got a chance to take the whole thing in and there were a lot of great quotes that we put out on social about things that he said, but you know, I just want to kind of touch on some of the key highlights. And, and Chris, you, you touched on it earlier. So, Christian, um, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Gareth Bale came straight out and said, 
I don't want to be here for six months. I don't want to be here for 12 months. It's my plan to be here long-term. And I not only want to be here at LAFC to get ready for the World Cup, but I want to be here at LAFC to hopefully get ready for the next Euro Cup as well too, which is a few years down the road. So did your heart flutter just a little bit like mine did when Gareth Bale told us that he was going to be here for the long haul and was not just riding this out till Qatar? Yeah, no, I'm happy. It's, it's just, it confirms a lot of what we've been hearing from John Thornton, uh, from himself in different interviews, but he reiterated it. Um, but he expanded on, yeah, and this is not just for this World Cup, like you said. He wants to be here. He said he's been coming here for more than a handful of years over the summers. So he already is fond of Southern California. He has friends here. Sounds like the front office has made it easy for him to relocate and kind of reestablish his career in a different way in this next chapter for him. And if the goal is for him to kind of prolong his career, but knowing that there, this is a challenging league and he, he also expressed that. And it's like he said that the MLS isn't given the credit that it's due with the competitiveness, the travel and the, the parity. But he also wants to make sure that Wales is put in the best position possible. And it hasn't been done in this way in Europe for that country in decades. I think it's the best of all worlds. And he's saying the right things and things are in harmony right now. And if we can get results with him on the pitch and continue this good feeling and, you know, get a couple stars above the, the LAFC shield and pictures with him and the confetti behind him, the 3252. I think that those are all what this kind of deals are made of. And I think he comes with the same goals with him wanting to put his name as part of that story. There were some other things he said, you alluded to it as well too, that he really feels like Europe gives the MLS a much harder time than it deserves. Kind of calling out the Euro snobs for saying that this league is, is much better than what we think. Beyond that, a lot of what we had heard from him was kind of what we had heard already. And it was an ongoing joke amongst many of us that were standing there listening to reporters painstakingly ask similar questions over and over. And he kept responding, like I've said before, and I think, you know, he even Gareth Bale was starting to get a little frustrated that people were asking him the same things over and over and trying to get a different response. And like a true professional, he stuck to the same responses. I have to say of our brethren within the sporting media, though, man, show up to a press conference with like two or three questions prepared, maybe so that if someone before you asks the questions you already had prepared, you don't just say to heck with it and ask the question anyway, it would be a lot better for all the sound bites and for all of us who are attending these press conferences, if we could see a little more variety in the questioning. And uh, I, I know it's difficult to come up with questions on the fly shucks. We do it, you know, for 127 episodes here now on the show sometimes, it can be a challenge when when someone dives into a topic and, and you had a great question for it. But people, come on, be better. That was frustrating. I don't know if you guys felt the same way watching the pressure, but those of us in the room were laughing at it for sure on the 3252 side. But got to go up on stage, shake the man's hand, take a little photo with him. That was pretty cool. You know, and uh, we were sitting there talking with Will Koontz and John Thorrington and Steve Chirondolo and everybody afterwards and Max Brados and Uncle Rich. And it was great. All the 3252 SGs down there represented and uh, a really fun time. And I love the fact that this club allows supporters to be a part of these press conference announcements for players. What other club in the world is doing stuff like this? And just the continued connection between our fans and our front office 
is unparalleled. And, and I think some of these times we just got to stop and, you know, thank the club and, and feel blessed for the kind of relationships we have with them. And I know it's taken hard work on both sides to keep those relationships going as positively as they are, but hats off to everybody involved on both sides for continuing to make the 3252 a part of this. I thought that was a really cool and touching moment that they brought all of us up on stage with him. And uh, it was, you know, just, just things that LAFC does that the rest of the world still seems to not be able to figure out. And, you know, I was talking to Will Kuntz about this at, right after the press conference where he's like, you know, so many of the conversations I have with other clubs and other general managers when we're not talking about players and contracts is about how the heck has LAFC managed to have such a tight-knit relationship with their supporters? And how is it that they've managed to keep the supporters from infighting against each other, something that we see in so many clubs around the world? And he says it's not just MLS teams. You know, we're talking big clubs from overseas that we're in contracts with. And in passing conversation with these people, they're just like, how does the 3252 and LAFC maintain this relationship? And how has the 3252, despite being a young entity, been so good at keeping all these people together? And uh, again, I it just I got to tip my cap to all the hard work that goes on behind the scenes in our SG leadership and in our front office to continue to make stuff like this happen. Really, really cool. All right, I'll step down off my soapbox. Guys, do you have any final thoughts, reflections on the announcement of Gareth freaking Bale at Bank of California Stadium? No, it's time for business. It's time for him to uh, join the club, get fit, and start partaking and making sure that we get some results. Um, and that way he gets fit and he gets ready for, for Wales. And then I want to thank you for representing the club and the 3252, the two press conferences that – uh, we're massive for the club. Well, it was absolutely my honor and privilege to be there. Big thank you to all the folks at the LAFC media team that made sure the podcasts were represented. I saw not only some of our pod fam brethren within the 3252 ranks that were there, but I also saw a number of them that were wearing their business casual and sitting down in the ranks with the reporters. And again, it's just stuff that this club makes a space for us that other clubs don't. And it's, uh, you know, it's something we are eternally blessed by. Well, gentlemen, I, I think that about wraps us up for Act 1 of today's show. I think we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back with today's guest, none other than Capo Kobe himself from the crew, right after this break, folks. This is Will Koontz, and you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Joining us now is Kobe Mendoza. You know him at LAFC underscore Kobe on Instagram or at Kobe Mendoza on Twitter. But more importantly, Capo up there in the front of the 3252, shaking those fists and driving the masses for the crew. Please give the crew a follow official SG of the 3252. They are at LAFC crew on all your social media platforms. Cole, brother, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, guys. It's a pleasure being on here and uh, really humbled by your guys' invitation, man. It's, uh, first time doing something like this, so it's a little nervous, but uh, we'll get through it. The pleasure is ours. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, full disclosure, we've been trying to court Kobe to come on the show for a while, but he actually decided to join us last minute this week, and we really appreciate you moving up the timeline for you coming on the show to come and be with us tonight, and obviously it's a pretty glorious day to be an LAFC fan. We just got back from Gareth Bale being announced at a press conference at the bank, and oh yeah, this weekend we beat Carson. So before we dive into everything, Kobe, I just want to know how you feeling right now, brother, coming off a Carson win and knowing that we still have yet to see minutes from the likes of Giorgio Chiellini or Gareth Bale, our new incoming arrivals. God, uh, you know, 
the adrenaline is still flowing. I'm still bouncing off the walls like my usual self. Just knowing that uh, we beat Carson. It's been two years since we beat Carson, I think. And then uh, to just be there and live the moment as an official couple, that was just exciting as well. And then um, just seeing Kalini, that he's finally on the pitch and, you know, how the excitement he's bringing to the players. And then uh, to find out that Gareth Bale was going to be joining the team. And, and it's just amazing. It's like, a, it's like a dream come true. Gareth Bale has been one of my favorite players of all time. And I always uh, wondered if I'd ever see that guy play up close and personal. And it turns out now that he's part of our club and I'm still speechless. I still, I still feel like I'm dreaming, but... I'm so excited, man. This is this is like I mentioned earlier. It's like a dream come true. Incredible, incredible moment to be an LAFC fan and a supporter. Like you said, dream come true for us at LAFC and the envy of the rest of the league at this point in time. It really is. I mean, it's a high water mark right now. And hopefully, uh, you know, things are still moving on up from here as the tide is swinging our direction, my friend. But speaking of which, we'd like to roll it all the way back, my friend. And, and we'd like to find out when did the beautiful game enter your life? And when did you fall in love with football? A uh, beautiful game entered my life. I was a very young age. Uh, my parents been watching football, God, forever. Even now, they're in their 70s. And I could still uh, go back to when I was probably uh, maybe five, six years old. And being around the house playing and, and being in the living room and just sitting there and sitting next to my pops and He's there watching a football game. Big-time Chivas fans. They're uh, obviously Mexican, but they're big-time Chivas fans. And uh, just go all the way back to where my brothers and I just used to sit with my parents in the living room and uh, try to figure out what they were watching. But we know there was a ball involved. We were kind of like, that's what we were attracted to. And um, I guess it, it'd be on Saturdays and Sundays when we'd just sit there for hours and, and uh, watch games with my parents. So it goes all the way back then. Uh, growing up, uh, never really played football. Uh, the first time I tried playing football, uh, uh, they put me as a defender. Uh, some guy came and uh, knocked that wind out of me, got up and uh, almost started a fight with him. And I said, you know what, this is it for me. I said, I love the sport, but I don't think I could play it. I'd rather sit back and enjoy people that could actually take the hits and not get pissed off about it and go after and try to take somebody's head off. I mean, you had passion and you were defending yourself. I think you could have stuck with it. But at this point in time, I think your decision was made. But there is a lot of people that enjoy it and we need people playing. We also need people watching and uh, cheering on. So did you ever try to play again or did you really call it that day? I got in the stomach. It's over, mom and dad. I'm going to watch it with you on the weekends. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I never tried playing it again because, like I said, it, I'm very competitive. And uh, I, I mean, I played uh, American football, you know, uh, and stuff like that, tackle football. But uh, for some reason, I just didn't dig them trying to take my legs out and kicking me and then you know stuff like that and then <laughs> uh, I, I was also my brother played as well my older brother and I was the one always trying to defend them so I was like no nah, man this game I'm gonna end up getting red carded all the time and you know it's not it's not gonna work for me man so yeah I never played again just a big time uh, fan of the sport and now a big time supporter so speaking of being a supporter were prior to LAFC any clubs that you repped crest for what were your teams prior to the black and gold my team before uh of the black and gold was Chivas USA. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, being a Chivas fan, when the Chivas USA came and joined the MLS, I jumped on that right away. Big time supporter for uh, Chivas USA. Not as big, not as big as the LAFC supporter, but I would go attend games at uh, Carson when they would play. And then obviously they got taken out of the league, and I was really disappointed. I moved up to Utah and lived there for a few years, and I started following uh, RSL. So it was kind of like. I liked RSL, but my heart was still like 
trying to find another team where I could really feel that that was my team. And uh, for a while, I, I mean, I, I lived up there for about three to four years. And uh, like I said, followed RSL. And pretty much when I left there, I was still kind of like into RSL, but my heart wasn't like totally there. And then finally we got our team in LA, man. And I said, that's my team. You know what I mean? It's, it, you feel it in your heart. You know what I'm saying? So once you found out about LAFC, talk us through coming and, and getting, coming to the first match and spending time on Christmas tree lane and, and meeting the supporters and, and choosing to, to be a contributor to, to this club in that fashion. Yeah. So when I heard that uh, LAFC was going to start, I kind of was a little, I can't say upset because, you know, being a Chivas fan, I was like, damn, they're the ones that are, they're the ones that, there was a big talk that they're the ones that replaced, obviously, Chivas USA. So being a big Chivas fan, I was a little kind of butthurt about it. And uh, my younger brother was actually the one that, that kicked it all off and was like, hey, uh, hey, there's a team coming into LA. Sounds like it's going to be fun. Why don't you come down and check it out? May 13th, five years ago, actually, my birthday, I went and bought some tickets. And I said, I'm going to go check them out. I showed up. My brother showed up with my first kit, gave me my first kit, and uh, got into the stadium. And there was love at first sight. Never turned, have never turned back since then. Felt the love. Was sitting in the, in the south end, looked towards the north end. And I said, I belong over there. Next game, I told myself I was going to buy tickets to, or find, find my way to get out there. Uh, walking around, I also noticed the tailgate, and I seen the excitement that was out there and everything that was going on. And I told myself as well, next game, I'm going to come and join a supporter group. But I didn't know anybody. I had just moved out to the IE. Originally, I'm from L.A., had just moved out to the IE. So I was like, I want to find an SG that's from L.A., but now I live in the IE. So I was going back and forth with that. And sure enough, second game, I went out there by myself. I was kind of nervous, walked around Christmas Tree Lane. And I didn't have the guts to go up to anybody and talk to anybody or even uh, approach any SG. So I told myself, I'm just going to go in and watch the game. Went to the South End again, but the, the North End was pulling me, man. It was just like, you got to come over here. And uh, actually, till my third game that I attended, I, I finally decided to join an SG, which was Empire Boys. And uh, ever since then, I've never looked back. Have never left the North End and don't plan to leave the North End ever again. Not only did you find your way from the South End over to the North End and and found an SG and found yourself a home, you you found yourself onto a capo stand. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your SG, the crew, the work that you do for them with the 3252 and, and regale us on what it's like to be standing there with your back to a game, fist bumping at a sea of people while you've paid a ticket to watch a game and yet you have to stand there with your back to it the whole time. I mean, it takes, it takes a different kind of person to want to stand up there and do that and yell at a bunch of lazy LA socialites sitting there on their phone that just bought the cheapest ticket they could find. And all of a sudden find themselves shoulder to shoulder with all of us crazies in the North end. Yeah, it definitely is. But I think that's the beauty of uh, having the kind of energy that I feel that I, that I have and that I can, that I could pass on to the 3252. Going back to the crew, um, being part of Empire Boys, I still kind of felt my heart back in LA, you know, and living out in the IE. But I've been, I was born and raised in LA, you know, lived on, uh, God, that's, I feel like LA is, I am part of LA, you know, uh, being part of that concrete jungle and being, uh, being part of the streets and, and just being out there. I felt like I needed that connection. And I needed that connection with an SG that that was from LA. 
So I, I started a good friendship with Hank and uh, we started just talking and, you know, I just felt that connection with not only Hank, but with the rest of the members of the crew. And they were very welcoming and I just started hanging out with them and little by little, you know, I just felt the attachment of, of joining the crew. Being one year with Empire Boys, you know, it was kind of hard leaving them. And I know they, they, they were kind of sad me leaving them myself, but themselves, but um, I just felt I needed to get back to L.A. And I needed I needed that L.A. part in me because I, I feel that, like I mentioned earlier, just being born and raised in L.A., to me, L.A. is everything, you know. I felt that big connection with the crew and been there already three years with the crew. I love it part of the leadership of the crew and I try to work hard to give our members the best uh, with that they can that they can get and uh, to represent them as, as best as I can myself and then just being in the stands and bringing it for four years and then being running watch parties um, I don't know it just came to me it just came to me I wanted it bad and uh, now I'm at the now I'm in the topo stand, and like you said, I paid I paid for a ticket. But in these last five years, I don't think I've ever watched the game. I record all the games and come home and watch them. And when I'm watching them, I'm still like trying to bounce off the walls because I'm get so excited about the chanting that's going on. But uh, it's an experience that you know it, I I guess there's no words that can explain it. But I could just tell you that it's just an adrenaline rush that just seeing everybody up there and and bringing it and my back towards the game and I know something something exciting happened because I see them all yelling and they stopped chanting but I know that either we scored or some or there was a BS call somewhere but um I enjoy every minute of it man I I I love sharing my energy and I could feel that uh the 3252 enjoys it as well and I could feel when I push and they and they respond so it's just something exciting that that I'm so blessed and honored to be part of and that the 3252 and and uh, guys like you, uh, Gringo, uh, gave me the opportunity because you've been around for a long time and, you know, stuff like that. Just like I said, it's very humbling. And, and, and I work hard because you never know who you're going to inspire that's out there in the 3252 that maybe one day will take my the right way and hopefully they can do it the right way as well. That's a beautiful answer to that question. Thank you. Christian, you had a comment. Yeah, no, uh, for someone that doesn't sit there, it feels like, or it seems like, I've got a chance to be in there and you do get inspired by the Capos. It's almost like you guys are orchestrating, you're like a maestro orchestrating the the masses. You know, people know what to do, but I feel like you, you almost indicate the energy level at the right moment or the right break or the right next kind of chant that's coming up or the right hand gesture. It reminds them and it keeps it keeps them organized and inspires the rest of the, the stadium. Um, that's just an observation of, of mine. Uh, and also I've, exp- I've been able to experience it, but it is something you cannot describe to someone that doesn't have the opportunity to, one, support the club, and two, be privileged enough to be able to get a ticket to get in there. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and just the beauty of looking up and seeing all the black and gold family, man. It, it's Like I said, it's like being at a concert, but you're the... You're the lead singer, you know what I mean? And it's it's a great feeling, man. It's a great feeling. Uh, like I said, it's kind of, I try to find words to explain it sometimes, and I, I don't know how to explain it, but I could just say it's awesome. So for those of us that don't know the history of the crew, why don't you go ahead and, and just talk to us about who some of your founding members were, what made people like Hank want to make the crew, um, and who... Uh, like how you guys went about choosing your symbol of the snake, uh, just things like that. Just tell us a little bit about crew and, and what 
and what makes the crew a unique supporters group within the 3252? It all dates back to 2015. Hank, uh, the former president of the crew, got into it as well with like Luckies and everybody else. And everybody uh, heard of LAFC and they were fortunate to be uh, the right place at the right time, I believe. Hank then decided to name it the crew because that's that's how he said we're we're good, we're good, we're a crew we're gonna be an amount of people so why not call it the crew he kind of fumbled a little bit about our symbol and one day uh his son one of the founders as well which is josh was walking by and he was wearing a van shirt and on the van shirt he had a cobra and the cobra uh, hank saw the cobra and was like damn that looks like it's gonna be a pretty good uh a pretty good symbol for our for our sg so he brought it up to the rest of the guys. It started off with five guys. It originally was uh, Hank, uh, his two sons, and two other guys that he had uh, he had recruited at the time when they went to Seattle. So it was started off with five people, and um, ever since then it started growing. Pretty much, Hank was the founding father of the crew, and his sons. Ever since then, like I said, I, I think what what makes the crew unique is uh, is the hospitality that we have towards people. We make them feel welcomed. Everybody enjoys when you're you're a stranger and somebody just welcomes you in. And and you know I think that makes a big difference when you're looking to join an SG or whatever. When before you even say anything, people are already welcoming you into the family and giving you a beer or food or whatever. I think uh, that's what makes the crew unique. It also there's a lot of young 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 guys in the crew, so they bring a lot of energy. They're always willing to think out the box and do many other things where. I'm thinking, you know, other older guys that have been around are a little more mellow. And I think in the crew, these guys, they bring the young into you. You know what I mean? They're in their early 20s, so they're ready to roll all the time. They're ready to they're ready to bring the excitement. So I think that's another uh, that's another unique thing about the crew. But um, like I said, it's just it started off with five members. We're over 350 members strong now and we're growing. We have a chapter out in the IE. So. It's it's been an exciting uh, it's been an exciting journey. Uh, then after I joined, it's just we just work hard. It's 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 a lot of it's a lot of hard work, but uh, we do it for the love of for the love of the sport, the love of our club, and definitely for the love of our members. Not only is the crew a force for good out in the community, as we constantly see through their social media, all kinds of good social works going out there happening, but you have used the literal platform of the Capo Stand. To make a few messages just in your wardrobe choices, game in and game out. What's it like to be able to stand there and represent the entire North End to be able to make a statement a la when you wore a Ukrainian jersey or any of the other times in which you've had an opportunity to use the capo stand as a way to rally the community? What's the response been to those kind of statements? I've gotten a great response, you know, and, and like I said, I'm humbled by the opportunity of being a capo because I feel like I've always told myself that if I ever if I ever got an opportunity to to get to such a platform, I would use it for the force for good. And I think I'm able to throw out people's voices and let it be heard uh, that from people that, that don't have that voice, but have given me that opportunity to voice what they want to voice out. Sometimes, you know, I, it, it's kind of hard sometimes though, because I think about it and I'm like, what are they going to say? You know, what are people going to, how are people going to react? Because there's always pros uh, for it and there's, you know, there's people against it. So I always got to like measure that. That's, I got to measure that scale where it's like, man, should I, should I not? But then I follow my heart and I feel like it's going to be a good choice. And 
and, and it's going to be a force for good. And, and it's going to, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to allow me to let other voices be heard and to let people uh, that are, that are, that don't have that opportunity, get that opportunity to get the opportunity to get their voice heard out there. Well, Kobe, thank you so much for coming and repping the crew and telling us a little bit about your black and gold story. We have one final question for you today, sir, and you may have seen this one coming. And that is, of course, Kobe, what does shoulder to shoulder mean to you, my friend? Gosh, shoulder to shoulder means that we're all alike. We can't do this by ourselves. We got to do this together. And why not do it together with somebody that feels the same way you do and that shares the same passion and love that you do? Because like the like the saying says, uh, strength in numbers, and uh, why not share why not share your passion, love, and everything else you feel with somebody that feels the same way you do. Amen, folks. If you want to find out more about the crew, you can hit them up at at LAFC Crew. One word on all your social media platforms. Pop by Christmas Tree Lane. Head over to that crew tent. Say what up to our boy Kobe. He will be one of the most welcoming hosts you will meet on Christmas Tree Lane. If you want to follow Kobe, you can give him a follow at LAFC underscore Kobe on Instagram or at Kobe Mendoza on Twitter. Mr. Mendoza, thank you so, so much for coming and joining us. We really appreciate having you on tonight, folks. We will be right back with the final segment of today's show after this quick break. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Hello, this is Jordan Harvey, and you're listening to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast. Joining us this week for our opponent correspondent is Mr. Tim Sullivan. He is the founder of Club and Country, and he's also the president of the North American Soccer Reporters. Tim, thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, so Tim does coverage for Nashville SC, and he does that through his media of Club and Country, but he also has helped generate the North American Soccer Reporters and you can follow the North American Soccer Reporters at Soccer Reporters and on Twitter and uh, at Club Country USA. Uh, and that is also on Twitter. And you can follow Tim himself at Sully VTI, S-U-L-L-I-V-T-I. So for some of our listeners, uh, why don't you do us a favor? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us how you got involved in your media outlet and when our listeners could listen in on your content and where they could find it. Yeah, so I am I am a journalist by trade. My day job is actually covering Virginia Tech football, um, although I do not live in Blacksburg, Virginia. Um, but living in Nashville, when a USL team came around, there was nobody covering it. I was like, hey, when I am around and a, a sports thing happens, I, I, that's what I do. So I had started covering it. I've always had interest in soccer. So actually, when I first started, it was largely U.S. men's national team stuff, and it kind of has become basically just day-to-day beat writing um, about Nashville SC. So um, I do that at clubcountryusa.com. And then uh, this, uh, I guess, is the second full year of our podcast, which I uh, produce with the Nashville SC radio play-by-play man, Wes Bowling. Um, Chris, you appeared on our, on our podcast this week. Um, so if everybody wants to check that out as well, uh, hear the other half of this, this uh, back and forth a little bit. And um, yeah, so that's, that's what I do. That's who I am. Perfect. And, you know, it's interesting. Tell us a little bit about the North American Soccer Reporters, how you got involved in that. What's the whole mission of the North American Soccer Reporters? Because there are, there are a lot of media members that may not even be aware that it's out there. And what's the mission? You know, where do you see it going eventually? Yeah, I, so I'm currently the president. I took over for Kevin Laramie, who 
took over from Jonathan Tannenwald. Uh, Jonathan Tannenwald is obviously the biggest name of those three. He's the, the U.S. men's national team and Philadelphia Union and basically general MLS writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer, a very prominent national journalist. And the mission of the organization is to uh, basically be an advocate for journalists around the continent. Um, we also have journalists from Europe and South America as well. So it's not exclusive to people from North America, but they, there has to be some sort of North American angle, whether they write about MLS for a um, Spanish, um, a member of our board is, is based in Barcelona, but uh, covers MLS. So, he, you know, you can see kind of the connections there. Uh, shout out to, to Jordi. Um, but yeah, so our, our mission is to uh, kind of be an advocate for, for reporters, whether that's for uh, uh, and advocating um, to the like U.S. men's national team, the U.S. Soccer Federation, to Major League Soccer, to the individual teams of Major League Soccer. Uh, a lot of what I've had to do this this uh, past couple months here is advocate for people for um, practice access. I've had to go on a bunch of calls with the league to make sure that that teams were following the the league rules in terms of their 15 minute uh, minimum practice access for local journalists and. Uh, what we have had to do a lot of is actually journalists who cover uh, a team when they're on the road too. But uh, you, you know, you mentioned that a lot of people might not know about it. It's a big part of my presidency, which just began in January when I took over for Kevin. Is I, I really want to up our membership and and help people uh, get involved in the organization. So um, if people are interested, they can check out the social media at Soccer Reporters. As you mentioned on Twitter, um, we are almost done with our latest round of accepting new members and, and we will open our application. It's actually always open, but we will, we will be publicizing our application again um, pretty soon once that is done. So um, I'm really looking forward to, to hearing from a, a bunch of new applicants. And um, for the most part, um, the people who apply have have tended to be very very, very well uh, accredited and, and well deserving of a spot in our organization. Chris, you were obviously recently welcomed into the organization as well. So it's something that I'm excited to continue building our membership and, and building uh, some of the, I guess, some of the clout that the journalists have in the soccer world, because um, it's we are not to the same level as, say, the Football Writers Association of America or the Baseball Writers Association of America. We really want to kind of be a voice for journalists in the uh, North American soccer sphere. Yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, having access to be able to network with the people that are on that list is such an opportunity for somebody like myself, who is a journalist by hobby, right? And having an opportunity like that to be able to reach out and ask for guidance or questions or just having mm -hmm. an access of somebody at a club, uh, if I were to ever travel and things like that, that's such a great opportunity. And again, thank you very much for accepting us. It's such an honor. Yeah, of um, course. And, and uh, you know, you mentioned that you are a journalist by hobby. And that is a lot of our a lot of our members are journalists by hobby, too. We have plenty of people who are professional journalists, but journalists by hobby are are more than welcome to to apply to the organization as well. Brilliant. So uh, let's get into it. You know, it's an exciting actual opponent correspondent. This is the first time LAFC has ever played Nashville. And, you know, it, uh, Nashville has only been in this. This is their third season in the MLS. First two seasons, Nashville was in the Eastern Conference and also COVID made it a little hard for us to play because they were playing regional games. And now Nashville's in the Western Conference. So we're going to be able to play Nashville two times a year for the foreseeable future. And it's just, it's it's interesting because, you know, a lot of times when we have these opponent correspondents come on, we've already had some matches mm -hmm. played. So there's a little bit of that expectation and there's a little bit of the, well, hey, how are things going to be different from the last time we played? And this is actually going to be the first time. So it's almost like, 
you know, we, we don't have that expectation going in. So, you know, for us here, it's actually a very exciting time, but let's talk a little bit about your off season leading into the season. You had a couple of departures. Alistair Johnston was a defenseman that went to Montreal. Daniel Rios was a forward who went to Charlotte in the expansion and Jonder Cadiz. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Cadiz uh, ended his yeah. loan and went back uh, to Benefica. So can you talk to us a little bit about those three players, what they meant to the squad and how their departure mm-hmm. affected your club? Yeah, I think the one that affects the club right now the most is Alistair Johnston. He was the right back. Um, Nashville has gone with both a four man and a five man back line. And he was really the only guy on the roster who could, who could be that, that either right wing back or right full back, regardless of which formation they went with. Um, there was a plan to replace him before the season began. It didn't work out. There is a plan to replace him during the summer window as well. We'll see if it works out. Shaq Moore, the U S men's national team players is the first choice there currently at Tenerife in Spain, but uh, it seems like that if there's always hiccups along the way, but I do think that seems like it's probably still on track. Rios is a guy who who signed with Nashville when they were still in USL, and um, he was signed to an MLS contract at that time, made the jump, planned to make the jump to the MLS club, and he's kind of a fan favorite. Um, Johnston had been a fan favorite as well, more for his personality necessarily than his gameplay. He was a, he was a nice player, but not irreplaceable. Rios is a guy who was always a threat when he was on the field. The problem was there were so many injuries and there were generally minor things. He'd, he'd miss just one week and then come back for two or three weeks, but then he'd miss another week. If he could have stayed on the field, Nashville would have gladly kept him around, but they ended up signing Teal Bunbury from um, New England Revolution in the offseason and kind of said, hey, this is a guy who's going to be a little bit more healthy. The irony being that he has been out for most of the season with a with a knee injury. So um, it didn't really work out as planned, but Rios is, was pretty replaceable. Cadiz was a guy who was a, a major signing they were expecting him to be a, a key player, a key striker up top, but um, it took him a little while to get to get situated. He came in midway through the COVID year, so there was a long acclimation process. That was when you had to be in the market for like 30 days before you were allowed to train and all those sorts of things when the rules were a little bit more strict. It took him a little while, and, and when he did get on the field and, and was ready to play, he was, he was good. Problem is last summer, or last spring actually, he went an international duty with Venezuela. It was when two thirds of the Venezuelan national team ended up getting COVID. Jander had um, adverse effects and he never really was back to full fitness over the course of the year. And Nashville kind of said, hey, if this is what we're spending DP money on, if we got a fully healthy Jander, we'd be pretty happy with it. We didn't get it. And we think that we can spend that money basically in the same way and end up with a player who's going to be at least as productive. and, And, you know, you're kind of uh, rolling the dice and hoping you end up with somebody more productive. So those three guys were a pretty big deal. And and um, I don't think any of them are, is irreplaceable, but Johnston is probably the closest to it only because Nashville has gone with Alex Mwil, who used to play for the New York Red Bulls as a winger. He's been the wing back, got good uh, motor up and down the right side, but not the kind of disciplined defensively. He's a very willing and kind of almost at times reckless defender. He's, he wants to get in there and defend, but he doesn't have the discipline. He doesn't really know from experience how to play a fullback position. And then the other right back is Eric Miller, who's a guy who um, doesn't have the motor to get up and down the pitch, is a little bit more solid as a defender, but neither of them provides the two-way threat that Johnston did. And so he has been felt. And, um, you know, if, if 
a Shaq Moore, for example, were to come in, I think people would forget about Alistair Johnson pretty quickly, but it's the fact that there hasn't been the replacement that has made him, uh, you know, such a, a sorely missed piece this year. I'm sure that Walker Zimmerman is able to talk to Shaq Moore a little bit and have those conversations <laughs> yeah. and being like, yeah, Hey man, absolutely. you know, it'll Two be Atlanta kids too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and then uh, there was uh, one notable player for a transfer in, in this off season, and that was Sean Davis. Uh, who is a midfielder from the New York Red Bull. Talk to us about how he has helped your team this season. Yeah, he's a guy who played alongside Dax McCarty with the Red Bulls when Dax was a longtime captain for the Red Bulls. Uh, McCarty has been Nashville's captain when healthy, you know, since day one, essentially. Uh, this past offseason, when it looked clear that despite his, his Red Bull bona fides, Sean Davis grew up in Northern New Jersey, was a Red Bull Academy kid, always played for Red Bulls, uh, has never known a different pro club. When it became clear that it was time for him to move on, uh, Wes and I on our podcast were like every single week, we were like, hey, I want Sean Davis is a perfect fit. We'll see if it happens. We didn't really think it was actually going to end up happening. We didn't think Nashville was going to kind of splash the cash. Ultimately, it, it didn't end up being necessary because Red Bulls didn't even make a bona fide offer. So Nashville was able to sign him in free agency. Um, he did get a nice pay increase and uh, I guess no state sales tax in, or uh, state uh, income tax in Tennessee probably helps uh, grease those wheels a little bit too. He's making a, a fairly uh, improved chunk of change compared to what he was making with Red Bulls. But he's a guy who who fits precisely what head coach Gary Smith wants to do in the central midfield. He um, is, is not going to necessarily be a game changer with the ball at his feet. He's not going to make the line breaking pass consistently. He's going to try the line breaking pass here and there, kind of that Red Bull get vertical sort of philosophy, but he's going to cover sideline to sideline from the, from the defensive positions. And he's going to get in, he's going to get his feet dirty and he's going to get in there and, and break up plays as they come at his own goal. And that's something that is, is really important with this team. And he's going to generate offense by, by moving the ball quickly forward. He's not, he's not going to uh, be the sort of guy who dribbles a bunch of guys in the midfield. He's going to get the ball back into the, into the feet of the guys who can really make a difference in the attack. Awesome. That's great. Currently right now, Nashville is sitting in seventh place in the West, seven wins, six ties, six losses on 27 points. They are tied at the sixth place Minnesota United and fifth place Galaxy, all sharing the same amount of points. However, Seattle and Portland are in eighth and ninth place, respectively, on 26 points. So right now, five through nine are all within one point of each other. This is this has kind of been a common theme midseason. Uh, you'll see that there is probably going to be a little bit of this change, you know, but of the last five matches of the regular season, Nashville has had one win, two draws and two losses. So then at this time of recording, you guys are supposed to play Seattle tomorrow. So after this hard loss this previous weekend against Charlotte, the game tomorrow against Seattle, and then the game against LAFC at the upcoming Sunday, what is the plan to be managing these minutes? And what are some of the expectations of the lineups uh, with squad rotation and things like that? Yeah, managing minutes has been an issue because um, Nashville does not have as deep of a roster as it had last year. They have some guys out on loan. They have just a few empty roster spaces. And then they had Zimmerman, obviously, with the U.S. men's national team. And they had Anibal Godoy with the Panamanian national team where he got hurt and he has not been back. He will not be available for Seattle on Wednesday. He's expected to be back for the LAFC game come Sunday. So Godoy is a, is a piece that they've missed during this um, kind of five-game slump. Um, the win in there was against D.C. United, so it hardly counts. <laughs> They're so bad. But this is the, the roughest five-game stretch, I think, that we've seen in Nashville SC's tenure in MLS. 
And when you have um, a pretty difficult stretch with, with uh, you know, the reigning CONCACAF Champions League uh, champions, and then obviously an LAFC team that's, that's running away with the Supporters' Shield race right now, it's not easy. And I think um, Nashville is going to look at Seattle and say, we beat them at their place in the season opener. We've got to be able to at least get a draw at home. I think the LAFC game is more of a showcase for, for the atmosphere, for the, for the team. I, I don't think they're going to rotate too heavily. Obviously, that's going to mean tired legs in the second game of that stretch. So it could be beneficial for LAFC. Um, it would surprise me, but uh, it's not out of the question to see a little bit of rotation for Seattle because Seattle is coming in banged up. Um, Raul, excuse me, Raul Rui Diaz is not expected to play. Um, he's he's been out for I think a couple weeks now. Um, they're down a couple pieces, and I think Nashville's probably going to say, okay, let's try and rotate a little bit here to see if we can get away with it. Kind of you know something that uh, probably annoys Nashville fans. Play for a draw for like seventy minutes, and then try and try and see if you can sneak out a winner. That's probably the plan against Seattle. And I think um, I think playing a, an open game where they can um, you know win three two or lose you know four two is something that is is a possibility for LAFC. That I think they're going to play a more open game. Um, try not to get up and down. Probably try and. Um, you know, bang balls over the top, which is not necessarily the most attractive style of play, but it's something that Nashville fans have gotten used to. Um, but I do think that helps save legs a little bit. And then you can still, um, you know, run out the same guys that you ran out on Wednesday. So we're aware of some of the known leaders on this squad, Hani Mukhtar, uh, Ake Loba, and of course, Walker Zimmerman, former LAFC defender. Tell us a little bit more about some of the lesser known or potentially the role players that our LAFC fans who are going to be watching this game should be aware of. Yeah, the one piece that um, is another piece that has actually been injured for a long time. So as as Nashville SC is disappointed to be in seventh place at this point, they can they can look at a lot of injuries that have been impactful injuries and, and say, hey, maybe the, there's a light at the end of the tunnel here is Randall Leal. He's a, a Costa Rica international. He's kind of been on the outs with the Costa Rica national team lately. Um, he's declined a few call-ups. He has not been happy with um, e- either of the, the past two coaches with Costa Rica, and it's kind of bit, ended up being mutual because of that. Um, he's a winger who, can, who, who absolutely loves to shoot from outside the box. It's, a, it, it's an exciting uh, characteristic, but it's one that uh, obviously fans that that have seen players do that before you're going to get some bangers, but you're going to get some, you know, second, second deck balls in there too. He's a guy that, that I think as he gets it dialed back in after coming back after I think eight or nine weeks out um, Bobby Wood um, got a red card. I, th- I think he got a red card uh, for uh, spraining Lael's ankle and a dirty tackle against RSL. So that's been something that um, Nashville has had to come back from. He's, he's an exciting piece. Um, Alex Mwil, who I already mentioned as the, as the right wing back slash right fullback slash a, a winger, um, is a guy who is a workhorse. He's, he's going to put in a ton of effort. He is not going to necessarily play a pretty game. Um, he's capable of a banger himself. He's got a couple. I think he had a goal of, a week, a goal of the week uh, three or four weeks ago, but uh, that's something that he's going he's gonna to take a few shots and, and maybe some are going to go in, but he's, he's a little bit more conservative because he, I think, is aware of his limitations. He's a guy who wants to mix it up and, and, and make sure that um, he's making the opponent feel him. He's kind of a defensive-minded attacking winger, which is a, a kind of an oxymoron, I know, but um, it's because he doesn't have the kind of defensive discipline um, for a wingback spot, like I mentioned previously. And then um, maybe more so than, than a 
then a a role player that we know is going to is going to be there is is who is going to be the goalkeeper because um, Nashville for the first two and yeah two and a half years um, didn't see a single minute between the pipes from anyone other than Joe Willis, um, the veteran who previously played for Houston Dynamo and uh, DC United, and he'd been really good. He struggled a little bit at the beginning of this year and Nashville SC said, Hey, we've got this young guy that we've been kind of grooming for a couple of years, been mostly out on loan the past couple of years. Elliot Panico stepped in and has had a couple of really good games. He has had a couple howlers as well. So it's something that, you know, you're, you're getting a higher variance with him, but I think the upside, if he gets, if he gets comfortable enough to not maybe commit the crucial mistake is, is going to see him potentially usurp Willis. And it's a question of, is Nashville legitimately rotating right now? Were they just giving Willis a break so he could kind of get his mind right after a rough stretch? Does Panico need that after he had a howler that that cost Nashville a win against Portland? It's kind of a, a weird situation right now, and that's something that Nashville has never had before because it had always been Willis. Every single minute had been Willis up until this recent stretch, and um, I, I think the – it's, it, you know, might not be quite as exciting to, to say, okay, the difference between two keepers for, for an opposing fan, but it is something to definitely keep an eye on because they're two very different types of goalkeepers in terms of the outcomes, at least. I mean, absolutely. I, I, and we spoke about it yesterday when I was mm-hmm. on your show and we talked about, you know, having Maxime Kripo in, whereas we had uh, Kenneth Vermeer or Tomas <laughs> Romero and just, you know, when you do, it, it does, it changes, it changes the way the team plays a little bit and the confidence that you have as a fan watching, depending on which goalkeeper it is, it, it does. It gives you different emotions and different feelings depending on who's playing. So it's it, it will be something interesting, I'm sure, for Nashville fans coming up. So like I had mentioned at the beginning, this is the first time that LAFC is playing Nashville SC. Uh, how is the fan base feeling about now playing in the Western Conference instead of the Eastern Conference? Is there something that they're looking forward to in terms of seeing different opponents like LAFC or any of the other ones or as you know, because Nashville is still so relatively new in the MLS uh, by comparison to some other teams to them, it's just like, well, we didn't really have a, a long history in the Eastern conference. So to us, it's still football. Yeah. I think there's an, uh, a disappointment that you don't have the rivalries that this, this club is expecting to have in the long run. They expect to go back to the Eastern conference eventually, whether that's next year with St. Louis coming in or later down the road. Um, there's only one game against Atlanta. They did get a, a bonus game in the, in the U S open cup. Um, no games against Orlando. Fortunately, they got one in the U S open cup. Unfortunately for Nashville it was a, a penalty kick loss, but um, you know, just one game against Cincinnati, who's a team that has been a rival dating back to the USL days. That's what they're losing. I think going to the Western conference is um, especially since fans kind of, I think, see it as temporary is exciting because you get to see a bunch of new places and more importantly I think more of the star power in this league is in the west um you don't see an eastern conference team signing Gareth Bell for example so to pick an example out of thin air um Nashville has played against Raul Rui Diaz this year they aren't going to play against him this week but they did in the season opener they're going to play against Chicharito a couple times this year that's something that Yes, there are there are nice players in the Eastern Conference. You're going to play against Joseph Martinez. You did play against Joseph Martinez, but it's a, it's a different type of name recognition. And it's a different. There is no Carlos Vela. Like you know, it's a it's a different thing when you're playing in the Western Conference. And I think that's something that fans are really excited about. Yeah, it's. Uh, I know that there's going to be a lot of uh, black and gold faithful that are going to be going out there because they wanted to see this new stadium. Right there mm-hmm. is this brand new soccer specific stadium in Nashville. How have those in match experiences been at 
Geodis, is that how Geodis yep, Park? Geodis, yep. Geodis Park compared to what it was at Nissan Stadium. Obviously, Nissan Stadium is a lot larger, and that's where the Tennessee Titans play. Um, but you know, what can some of these traveling LFC fans expect? Yeah, I, the hospitality for one thing. Um, I'm I am not a native Southerner, so I always kind of say Southern hospitality is a myth <laughs> because it's just it's just nice people are have a different nickname for it. There's Midwest nice where I, when I grew up in Michigan, it's all the same thing. Um, but I think the Nashville SC soccer fans are legitimately uh, a legitimately a nice group of folks. Um, there's uh, questions about what the tailgate situation is going to be. The club kind of sprung something on their supporters groups this week. But um, when when that gets resolved, LAFC fans will be uh, certainly welcomed to the Nashville SC tailgates. Um, the Backline Supporters Collective is the is the umbrella organization like the 3252 is out there in L.A. Um, I think in terms of Geodis Park itself. The first couple games, the sound was incredible. It is like all these stadiums that have been designed in the past, you know, five or six years. Um, Populous has a has a type, and they know and they know how to make it happen. Um, it's it's the 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 crowd pop is incredible when it when it happens. The problem has been the last three or four home games have have not seen Nashville kind of excite the home fans enough to to really get that noise. I think against a couple of of really big time opponents like Seattle and LA you're going to, you're going to hear it regardless of, of how poorly the team has been playing or how, how poorly the, the fans have been performing for the team um, in the past few weeks. It's a different story when you're playing against Seattle. It's a different story when you're playing against LAFC. So the, the, the noise inside the stadium is, is going to compare. Um, it's going to compare to bank of California for sure. Um, the, the area around the stadium, it's, it's, uh, there's some there's a walkable bar district called Wedgwood Houston and that's probably where visiting fans will be if the tailgate situation doesn't get figured out um, it's probably a quarter mile um, LA people are very used to spread out <laughs> spread out stuff so, so because you don't even need to drive you don't need to hop hop on the five or whatever <laughs> but it's it's a situation where um, there, there's a, there's enough stuff around there to certainly kind of take partake in some festivities and the stadium itself is is really going to impress it's a very different style of stadium than a lot of the new ones it has like this like weird industrial feel which um is kind of an odd fit for nashville but i think fits um you know if, if you're if you're local to the area it kind of makes sense it's, it's in a, a former slash current industrial area to a certain extent so it's a pretty cool architectural uh difference from what you see from a lot of these new stadiums and the, and the in-game experience has been incredible They're, they do all these you know guitar solos and stuff before the game starts kind of try to tie in the music city stuff and it really I thought when they told us what they were going to do before the first game and, and back in 2020, I was like, this sounds so corny, but it really, it really does. It really does work more than uh, you might expect. That's excellent. Yeah. I, I do. I do expect that there are going to be a lot of fans in the stands at the match this upcoming weekend, uh, because we are hearing that Gareth Bale is going to be traveling with the club mm -hmm. and he is going to be, uh, you know, available to play in some form. So I think that there are going to be a lot of people that would like to see the Gareth Bale debut. So I'm 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 expecting high turnout uh, for the match this weekend. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think Nashville fans are really excited for it. Um, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of fans who have who have watched him play in Europe. Um, I, I, I guess not a lot of Real Madrid fans, otherwise they wouldn't have watched him play in Europe. But but people are excited to see a name that not only they recognize from a long European career, but they're going to see the USMNT play against in Qatar. Oh, yeah. So that's something that fans are super excited about, I would say. Absolutely. So what, speaking of which, what are your expectations for this weekend for the Nashville versus LAFC match? It's really tough to say because of this five-game slump that they're kind of in the midst of. 
it's it's a situation where they have not been playing that poorly, but the scores have really gone against them. And sometimes they have not played very well. But for example, the four one loss to Charlotte, first time they've ever given up four goals, first time they've ever lost by more than two goals, dating even back to the USL days. It looks like the worst game they've ever played. They they handily won the XG battle. Um, so it's a weird situation where, you know, a little bit more uh, cosmic justice and things would, would have uh, looked a lot better. But I think the team is going to play well. I don't know if they're going to score well. I guess it's kind of like a golf thing that people say like, oh, yeah, I hit the ball well, but I didn't score well. That's kind of what Nashville has been doing lately. And, um, you know, sometimes it clicks from there. Sometimes it doesn't. I do think they are going to play an open game, like I mentioned earlier, because, uh, they kind of feel the need to entertain the fans, get that get that Geodis Park crowd kind of feeling it and behind them again. Um, that could lead to, you know, a 4-2 loss sort of deal. It could lead to a 3-2 to a win. It's the sort of thing where you could see this team come out and say, whatever, we're going to get scored on, but we, we're going to score too. We want to entertain the crowd, and that's something that hasn't necessarily been the case in the past. They've wanted to go out and grind out results more, more often than not. And I don't think that's going to be the case this weekend. And then, uh, you know, we are going to be playing you guys the last game on decision day. Um, so, you know, looking back or looking forward to the end of mm-hmm. the season, how do you feel that Nashville is positioned right now leading up to the all-star break? And where do you think they're going to end? Uh, this season again this I I don't know if I'm like doom and gloom because of this current streak because before that they were you know oh if we had you know flipped a coin the other way a couple times we'd be right there battling with LAFC for top of the west that's not the case right now (laughs) That, that is definitely not the case they need to get their form back if they get their form back I think this is a club that should finish top four you know home game in the western conference and that's something that is not you know you don't grow up as a kid dreaming of being top four in the Western Conference of MLS. But that's a pretty good finish this season, especially given kind of this midseason slump that they've gone through. I think they will pull that off. I think they'll be probably on that four or five line come the end of the year. Their big their big desire is to get into the playoff field, give themselves uh, hopefully a, a manageable first round match and, and take it from there. Brilliant. Well, again, everybody, this has been Tim Sullivan. He is the founder of Club and Country, and he is the president of North American Soccer Reporters. Uh, You can follow them at Club Country USA and at Soccer Reporters. Uh, Again, thank you very much, Tim. We look forward to having you on again later this season, and uh, good luck. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Hey, it's Kevin Frazier from Entertainment Tonight. And listen, I am an LAFC super fan. So I always make sure I download and listen to Shoulder to Shoulder podcasts. They keep me updated. But more importantly, I get to listen to these dudes' opinions about the team I love the most. Keep doing your thing, guys. All right, boys. We have just had a chance to get all prepped up for today's game with our OpCore. So why don't you go ahead, guys? Let's go ahead and lay some predictions out. What do you guys think is going to happen? as we head to Nash Vegas, baby, and take on the fighting Walker Zimmermans. I think LAFC is going to win. Right now, currently, Nashville sitting in seventh place. I think that they have had a decent run of form at some point this season to where they looked like they were a formidable opponent, and I think that they've hit a rough patch. It will be LAFC's first time going into Nashville's new stadium, which I think is going to be exciting for the traveling members of the Black and Gold community. But at the end of the day, I think that LAFC is going to uh, play well. And a little tidbit of information on the Twitter, the Twitter sphere, 
Gareth Bale will travel with the team and make his debut for LAFC. Breaking news. I was unaware of this. Did this just come out? Of course, by the time the show comes out, this will be old news. But to us, that is a big, big deal. Gareth Bale. Wow. Of course, he wants to see Walker Zimmerman. I mean, he's got to get ready to take him on in the World Cup, right? You got to compare man buns. Easy, obviously. 100%. That's what it is. That's the main reason. Everybody knows it. He wants to show off his number 11 that, you know, Sifu gracefully gave up. But man bun is the main reason. And I think he's heard that there's really good barbecue and, and bourbon there. That's what I hear, too. I do want to bring up the point, though, that, that you know, we have said on this show that numbers are not allowed to be changed mid-season. And it is still true. We are not inaccurate in our assessment of what number Gareth Bale would have worn. Um, when when talking to people and finding out how this change was uh, allowed, it would appear that the MLS is allowing a one-time change while you know making the player pay a fee i don't know if this is going to be something that they implement because i highly doubt this is going to be the last time that they bring in a player from a high profile player who typically wears a number and that number is no longer available because it is allocated to somebody else already on the team i highly doubt this is going to be the last time this happens wait you're saying mls is not going to ever change rules for high profile players or that they are Right. No way. They I, would never do that. No, no. I, I mean, why would they? Right. So anyways, Gareth Bale will be wearing 11. So now, now the question becomes what number will Jose Cifuentes be wearing? We go back to look at the available numbers. I mean, if we're already in, mu- in number changing mode, okay. If we're already in number changing mode, I say we might as well just get rid of Janela make eight available, and then Sifu can wear eight. I had a feeling that was going to be your prediction. Um, However, sir, we were at the time in the show in which you need to give me a different prediction. So despite all of that wonderful news about Bale and his numerology, you got to put some numerology down on this game. Now, I know Nashville has only won one game since the start of June, but they're playing at home. They're a good squad. You got to give me a score prediction, my friend. Two to one, LAFC. Same here, 2-1. Nashville's hard to break down, but I think we can get two goals. I think Gareth Bale is going gonna, is gonna to come and just light the league on fire. So I'm going to go ahead and no, it's not going to be a 10-0 prediction. I'll come back down to earth. But, but my Derby predictions will never change. They'll always be 10-0. Uh, I, I think we're going to see another 3-2 match. Uh, I think the same five-goal spread we got at the bank over the weekend we are going to see. I, I do think it benefits LAFC, obviously, that uh, you know uh, Nashville has the midweek game versus, um, I think it's uh, Seattle. I believe they're playing midweek. Excuse me. Um, so I, I, again, that benefits LAFC. You know, the team has to play a whole nother match, mind you. We have to travel, but I would much rather travel and not have a game before we play than have to play t- the midweek game and then the big game on the weekend. So I think that's an advantage for us. Uh, I really think it's going to take teams a while to figure out Gareth Bale and figure out what works against him. And it's advantage him at the beginning. I think a lot of players are going to be ball watching, um, you know, worried about stepping in and making a foul. And uh, he's going to find himself in the back of the net. I think he finds the back of the net. I think it's going to spark Vela to find the back of the net. And at the rate Chijo Arango's going, 
you got to consider him to be a goal scorer in every game at this point. So I think we get three goals, one from Chicho, one from Vela, and one, the debut goal for the black and gold for Gareth Bale. Three to two victory. Uh, I'll give Walker Zimmerman a header, and I don't care who else scores the other goal for Nashville, but that's going to go ahead and be my prediction for the match. And uh, I do think we're catching Nashville at a perfect time, but look, teams can go through a run of bad form, but LAFC comes to town. We got a healthy contingent of black and gold heading out there. I'm hearing the numbers are significant as far as travelers that are heading out there. We could have 200, 300, maybe potential black and gold fans going out there to uh, take on Nash Vegas and hit up all those famous honky tonks and have themselves some barbecue and a good time. So uh, I'm really looking forward to this. So we already know Bale's going to play. So I guess the question then remains, boys, do you think Kalini's going to play as well too in this match? Probably. I would say, I would say it, especially with the uh, Palacios uh, discipline that he has to sit out and who knows the status of Escobar. I think, like you said, it's an opportunity to see what three center backs in the back would look like. Yeah. I think, I think uh, you bring in Mamadou fall, you bring in Kalini, um, you know, maybe Ibiaga goes out wide. Um, you know, it's, it's Obviously, you know, look, the partnership at center back right now for us has looked pretty good uh, without Kalini being in there. But uh, we didn't bring him all the way over here to sit on the bench and watch games. So I, I do think he gets a second half sub into this game or we'll come in and play the first half and then get subbed out for the second half, depending on which way Dolo wants to play it. But we should have a fresh and healthy squad. Lots of players coming back from injury. Uh, Escobar potentially out, potentially not out, you know, health and safety protocols could just be a scare and he needs to get a couple tests in, uh, could just be that, you know, he got some food poisoning and for whatever reason they had to sit him out because it was COVID like symptoms, but we certainly haven't heard of a positive test and we haven't heard that he is ruled out for COVID just for health and safety protocols. So fingers crossed, he's able to play that could definitely change the dynamic of this game. If he's available to step in it right back. Uh, in which case I do think we, we go to a traditional four at the back system, but yep. If, uh, if they're both out, I, I would say three at the back could likely happen. And that's going to be an interesting thing to see play out when we're not doing three at the back with all reserves, but when we're doing three at the back with Carlos Vela and Gareth Vela in there and Giorgio Collini, man, in that back line, guys, it's, it's a beautiful time to be a black and gold fan. And we'd like to thank each and every one of you guys for listening to episode 127 of shoulder to shoulder podcast. Please give us a follow at LAFC S 2 S on all your social media platforms. We have a couple really big guests lined up for the rest of the month, some cool stuff coming down the way, but we would still love to hear from each and every one of you. So give us a shout out. If you'd like to come and join us on the show, we'd like to thank Kobe Mendoza from the crew for coming on and joining us as our guest today. You can follow him at Kobe under, I'm sorry, at LAFC underscore Kobe on Instagram or at Kobe Mendoza on Twitter and uh, the crew LAFC crew on all your social medias. We'd also like to thank Tim Sullivan, the founder of club and country, as well as the president of the North American soccer reporters for coming and getting us caught up in all things Nashville as well, too. On behalf of Chris Christian, sound engineer, Wilson and myself, Jonathan, we'd like to thank you all for listening to today's show. Take us home sticks. Up to up. Together this our culture. The force of a supernova. Stay flying that FC Dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Korea Town Liddy. Cape so mommy about to drop her fifth. They want me to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that.